Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter number 6. John chapter 6. Um, read a passage out of here you know, a couple weeks ago in, in a particular verse, particular phrase stuck out in my mind and what we'll be preaching about tonight. And uh, knowing that I was going to be preached tonight, I had this thought in mind and Sunday night when Brother Alfred stepped up here and said, John chapter 6, I kind of uh, worried there for a minute. Pastor knows what that's like when you have something planned and, and somebody else, like the service before, says the same number. But thankfully he stayed at the beginning, the first part of the, of the chapter. So I thought I was going to have to reverse course there. Um, but we'll begin reading in verse number 60. Um, and go down through verse 69. The Bible says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, they said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? And here in a minute we'll go back up and see what exactly they were talking about there. But verse 61 says, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth, not this, doth this offend you? And, uh, what and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Uh, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him by my, of my father. For that, um, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm entitled the message tonight out of that question that Peter asked Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get started this evening. Lord, I come before you and Lord, I ask that you please um, calm my spirit now. Let me calm down, let me focus um, on preaching and get you know, everything else out of my head that's been going on. Um, this evening and throughout the day, and ask that we would just focus, um, all of us together, on the word that you would have for us tonight, and that you would speak to hearts and lives tonight. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. The following letter was written by a young communist to his girlfriend, uh, breaking off the relationship with her because of his devotion to the communist cause. The letter was given to her, to her pastor, who in turn then sent it to Billy Graham. And this is not a, um, obviously, um, an uplifting letter toward the communist movement, but it's revealing of what this young man's um, focus was. It says, we communists have a high casualty rate. We are the ones who get shot and hung and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. 
We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists do not have the time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have, not, we, we have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us in his small way, is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There's one thing in which I am dead earnest about, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating, it to the, without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. What a commitment. Now, a commitment to a wrong cause, to a cause that is sinful and wicked, but it's perfect. It's a perfect portrait of a young man who felt so strongly um, about what he believed in that he had eliminated any other lifestyle from his life and completely removed it from his list of possibilities. He was locked in and sold out to what he believed in. Uh, in our text tonight, Jesus was speaking to a multitude of people. Uh, people comprised of disciples. This group of people was comprised of critics and of admirers. Uh, Brother Alfred preached a, a great message on Sunday night from the beginning of this um, chapter on the feeding of the 5,000. And following the feeding of the people there, of that miracle, Jesus sent his 12 disciples across the sea in a boat over to a town called Capernaum. And he went off into a mountain to pray. And in the middle of the night, he was standing on the shore and he was watching. And he watched the ship toil and watched the ship struggle in the wind and struggle um, amongst the waves. And um, he walked out onto the sea walked to the boat, and he calmed the sea, calmed the storm, and uh, went into the boat with his disciples. And, and right there, you know, two of the most recognizable miracles that, you know, we ask anybody, name a miracle that Jesus performed, and, and chances are very likely they're either going to say feeding 5,000 or, or walking on the sea. And when they got over to the shore, they... Uh, the, the people who had Jesus had left on the other side saw where they had went, and so they went around to try to find Jesus. 
And uh, they found the boat that the disciples took, and they went into Capernaum looking for Jesus. And, and when they found him, when they found Jesus, Jesus told them, hey, the only reason you are even looking for me is because I fed you yesterday. The only reason you even came, you're simply looking for more food. I guess from the very beginning of the church, people were coming to the church looking for food, <laughs> looking to be fed. Seems like we get a lot of that around here where we... Um, where we're located. Uh, but, you know, some of the people that followed after, that found Jesus, uh, believed. But many of them were only looking for more miracles. They were interested in Jesus, but uh, they, we wouldn't describe them as disciples. Um, they were fans, as opposed to followers. Uh, but also among the followers and fans um, and disciples were a group of Jewish critics. It says in verse number 15, 59 that Jesus was teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. Um, who would have been in that synagogue? Jewish rulers, Pharisees, scribes. And uh, all of which would not have believed in Jesus as Messiah. In fact, they would have been his enemies, the same group of people that desired to, um, to kill him, that arrested him falsely, um, and that murdered Jesus. They didn't believe in him as the Son of God or, or believed in him as a, of, of what he taught. And as he began, as he was speaking with this group of people, uh, he got into a heated conversation a little bit with them, and and he was preaching and teaching how that he was the bread of life that came down from heaven um, to feed their spiritual need. The Jews didn't appreciate that very much. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They, um, it says in verse number 41 that they murmured at him, saying that, that this was just Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of a carpenter, and, and, and what, is, what does he get off saying that he came down from heaven? Who does he think he is saying that, that, uh, that he is the bread of life? And throughout this conversation that Jesus was having, Jesus said some things that were very hard for his audience to hear, very hard for them to comprehend. Look at what he told them in verse number 53. Verse 53, it says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. Uh, Jesus told them that in order to get eternal life, then they would have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty disgusting to me. That's gross. Um, and, and if you start, stop to think about it, no wonder they murmured among themselves. I probably would have murmured too if I would have been in there. Like, what? He's telling us to eat him? It's, you know, Jesus wasn't preaching cannibalism here. He was preaching to them that they had to accept the sacrifice of his body and his blood for the atonement of their sins. 
he was preaching a message full of commitment to him um, and his sacrifice, not about bread and what to eat. And remember, many of these people that were present that day, um, they were present the day before when Jesus fed the 5,000, and maybe they kind of thought, or, or Jesus was, um, was relating the day before. Aren't you thankful that we have a full revelation of the Word of God? And we don't have to read a passage like this and, and be confused. Okay, what in the world is Jesus talking about? But because of, of the other inside, because of his teaching at the Last Supper, and through the teaching of, of Paul through the church in Corinth, we know that, that Jesus was um, um, simply uh, making note that, uh, that, uh, that if we believe and accept his sacrifice and his blood as our atonement for our sins, then in th- through doing so, we're fully receiving him into our body and, and, and into our spirit. And Jesus was simply using this as a sort of a metaphor. But without that full understanding, this would have been very confusing, very offensive for many of these people to hear. Think about who, who was there. The Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They accused of Jesus of being a liar, an imposter, and believed, that, uh, believed it so much so that, that they falsely arrested him and, um, and imprisoned him and crucified him because they felt that he was a liar and that he was preaching blasphemy. They did not accept, they did not accept this truth that Jesus gave his life and his blood for atonement of their sin. This would have been difficult for the casuals, um, the casual people to hear. Uh, these were the, they were only there because they saw a miracle the day before or because they heard about some miracles that Jesus performed, and they were simply there wanting to see more miracles, perhaps wanting to be entertained or seeing what they could gain out of Jesus' miracles. And when Jesus started preaching about commitment and about belief, they were thinking, whoa, this is too much. This is not what we bargained for. That Jesus, I just wanted some bread. I just wanted a free lunch today. I wasn't ready for, for you to, to start preaching to me about commitment and about belief and about faith. So it's difficult for them to hear, difficult for them to comprehend, to understand. But then Jesus' disciples were there, those um, that had bought in, those who had forsaken their life. They've left their family, they've left their homes, they've left their jobs behind all in an effort to follow Jesus, and they had a misunderstanding of who Jesus was at this point. Um, They still thought that, as many of the Jews did, that the Messiah would be an earthly king and would rise up in power and would overthrow the the Roman Empire, and he would lead the nation of Israel to to, to restore it back to its proper place in their minds. Um, But Jesus... The Messiah is now talking about giving his life and dying. And that didn't match up with what they thought the Messiah would do. They said, well, Jesus, you're supposed to be our king. You're not supposed to die. This would have been difficult for them to hear 
and for them to understand. And look at how they responded in, to his teaching in verse number 60. It says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? They said among themselves, This is hard. The word here for hard means tough or harsh. It means severe or offensive. And whenever they heard the teaching that Jesus had given, they said to themselves, this is tough. This is harsh. And, and, and perhaps they, they huddled up together and, and said, man, you believe the teaching that Jesus has given us today? This is tough. This is hard to hear. And he said, um, they said, who can hear it? That's what they said. doesn't mean that, that, like, who can listen to this, although somebody who has had a light stomach, um, and they heard Jesus talk about eating their flesh and drinking their blood, they go, ah, oh, this is tough to hear. They weren't talking about being tough to hear. They think um, tough to understand, tough to accept this as truth. This was not only a harsh or a severe or... Um, 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 something very serious that Jesus was saying, but it was something very difficult for them to accept as truth, especially seeing the different backgrounds of the people there and the different expectations that they had for, for Jesus. Have you ever been approached by somebody else and you had a conversation? That was tough. That was rough. That was severe. That was difficult for you to accept as truth. Uh, my wife had one of these conversations with me a while back. She had to sit down and said, Sid, this is tough for me to tell you, but you can't sing. You're terrible. That was hard to hear. I'm just kidding. She would never say something so absurd as that. Uh, I think of the show American Idol, one of Pastor's favorite shows. And uh, you know, if, you, if you've ever seen the show, if you haven't, I'm sure you've heard about it. And, and they would get some goofballs like myself on there who can't carry a tune in a bucket. But they thought they were good. I actually know I, I'm not very good. And, but these people would get on the show and they would think, man, I, I can sing. I've got a future. I'm going to be the next American Idol. And so they'd get on there and they'd try out. And then at the end of their tryout, the judges had to have a difficult conversation with them. And a couple of the judges were a little bit apprehensive. They wouldn't hurt anybody's feelings. But oh, Simon, he didn't care. Simon was ruthless. Simon was tough. And Simon would tell him exactly that. You're terrible. Get out. Leave. You have, you have no future. And for some of the people, that was tough for them to accept as truth. They didn't, they didn't know if they could believe it. Um, it. It was tough. Maybe you haven't had a... Um, um, a conversation about your singing. Maybe you tried out for a sports team when you were a kid. And you had the tryouts and the coach had to come to you and had to have that difficult conversation. Said, sorry, uh, you're, you're not going to make the A team. I'm sorry. Um, you say, all right, well, how about the B team, coach? I'll, I'll be on the B team. Say, I'm sorry. You're just not, you just don't have what it takes to make the B team. All right, coach, I guess I'll, I guess I'll handle the C team. All right. If we ever get a C team, you will be right in line for that. Now, for some kids, that's tough to accept. That's tough to hear that, that we're not good enough, thankfully. Never had to have that conversation either because we only had an A team. Um, and everybody made the team. Didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Maybe you've, maybe you've been on the receiving end of, uh, 
of, a, of an awkward breakup conversation. And they just had to say, you know what? It's not me. It's 100% you. We're done. That's tough to, that's tough to hear. It's tough to, um, to get. That's harsh. And maybe, you, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it's um, you've had a, a, well, an unpleasant conversation at work, an unpleasant review, where your boss said, hey, if you don't straighten it up, you're going to get fired. You're going to be out of here. I had one of those conversations. Thankfully, it wasn't here yet. <laughs> yet. But I had one of those conversations when I worked at Hobby Lobby Warehouse when I was in, in, in college. I got called to the office one day, and my boss and my boss's boss were there. And uh, they said, you know, and they had that conversation. Hey, if something doesn't change, you're going to be fired. It wasn't because of work-related, anything like that. It was because for over a year, um, I was supposed to be clocked in by 1 o'clock. But I was always clocking in at like 101, 102, 103, right in there. And for over a year, not a single person said a word until one day, and I had this very unfortunate conversation because my boss, Mike, he was okay. He was cool. Uh, he was nice. But his boss, you don't want to be in a conversation with him. It, it was not fun. It was like one of these, I'm sure. I walked out of there, man, that was harsh. He said, if, you, if you're ever, if, you don't, if you're not clocked in by one o'clock every single day for the rest of the time, you're going to get fired. If one time you're clocked in at 101, you're fired. And guess what? For the rest of the time, I never clocked in after one o'clock. I was on time every single day once I realized how serious it was. Um, but that was, I walked out of there, I'm like, that was harsh. That was tough. That was, that was, that was hard. And sometimes those conversations can be hard to hear. Sometimes those conversations can be tough to accept as truth. And we walked out of there, man, that was tough. That was intense. And that's what Jesus had with his disciples right here. A, a tough, no-nonsense type of conversation. And they walked out of there, and they're thinking, man, Jesus, that was rough. That's difficult to hear. And how did Jesus respond to that? Well, he apologized and tried to make them feel better, right? Absolutely not. Verse number 61 says, When Jesus knew in himself the disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, hey, I'm speaking to you the truth. I'm sorry if you're, ta if you're, if you're taking this hard. I'm sorry if this is tough for you to hear. I'm sorry if this is a little bit severe. But I'm just telling you the truth. Verse 64 said, but there are some of you that believe not. The reason some of you are taking this conversation particularly hard is because you don't believe it. It's tough for you to hear the truth. It's tough for you to accept this as right because you don't believe that I'm the Messiah. Because you don't believe that, that, that I am um, the atonement for your sin. Because, you're ha because you don't want to admit that you're in the need of salvation. It says, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and sh who should betray him. Some of, some of them were offended uh, because they didn't want to admit that they were wrong. And we see the people's reaction in verse number 66. It says, From that time, many of his disciples went back 
and walked no more with him. Um, these were not part of the twelve. Those, those twelve disciples, they all stuck around, and they were followers of Jesus. Um, but, but those that were simply followers, simply fans, more of the casual folks, the Jewish leaders that were there, uh, they all walked away. They'd been following, listening to his preaching and teaching. They had been observing the miracles. Um, but they were obviously not all in. They were only there half-heartedly. They maybe had just a dipped a toe in to check the temperature. And when they heard the teaching of, his, of Jesus, they said, Whoa, this is not for me. This is way too much. I'm not ready for this. Uh, perhaps they had a plan B in mind. And they followed Jesus for a time, but whenever the going got tough, they said, hey, hey, um, good thing I kept this off to the side. And they went back home, said, hey, I can get home and I can get back to the farm or, or I can get back to the fishing boat or I can get back to the family. Thankfully, I didn't leave anything too serious behind. I can get back there. Then the 12 were faced with a life-changing decision right here in verse number 67. It says, then Jesus Said, then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Jesus looked at the crowd that had been following him, followed him from one side of the sea to the other. The same group of people that back up in verse number 15 wanted to take Jesus by force and place him as their king. Now they've turned, they've walked away. They, they're no longer bought in. They're no longer serious about this. And Jesus looked at the 12 men that remained and said, Hey, are you going to walk away too? What about you guys? Are you going to leave? And now these 12 men are faced with a decision that could impact their entire life. Are they going to walk away or are they going to stay right there with Jesus? And Peter spoke up on behalf of the others. It says in verse number 67 or 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? It says, Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that Thou art the Christ, that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said this, Jesus, we know that Your words are true, and we know that You are the Messiah, the Son of God, because we're so sure of that fact, where else are we going to go? No one else has the words of eternal life. No one else is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's no one else to go to that can satisfy our desire for eternal life. Jesus, there's, no one else, there's, there's nowhere else that we can go to that can satisfy our spiritual needs. Peter said, Jesus, we don't have a plan B. We don't have anywhere else to go. Leaving is not an option for us. We don't have any place to go. Peter, along with the other disciples, looked at Jesus. They said, hey, we've already made up our minds, Jesus. We've left our families behind. We've left our jobs behind. We've left our, our property. And, and we're wholeheartedly following you because there's nowhere else for us to go. There's no one else that can bring the peace that you offer. There's no one else that can bring the joy that you bring. There's no one else that can love us the way that you do. No one else that will forgive us the way that you've forgiven us. No one else that can offer us eternal life, Jesus. We're not going anywhere. David said in Psalm 57, 7, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. David said to God, God, my heart is fixed on you. 
I'm not going anywhere. And Peter and the disciples looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, my heart is fixed on you. We're not going anywhere. Where else are we going to go? What was once a large crowd of casual followers, of critics, and of disciples was now just a group of 12 men who were not driven by how difficult it got, but by who Jesus was. It is so clear in Scripture, in the Bible, that um, the Christian life is not easy. The very nature of discipleship is very tough at times. And tonight I'm talking about being all in. About being all in. Not a casual fan of Christ. Not somebody that comes to church um, every, so, every once in a while when they have time, when they have opportunity, when it's convenient for them. I'm not talking about somebody who gives um, when they feel like it, when they have a little bit of extra money in their wallet, or, or even somebody who only gets involved when the staff asks them to. I'm talking about a disciple who is all in for God. Um, that's all in giving their heart, soul, and mind to the will of God. It's stressful. It is. It's difficult giving all of your heart, soul, and mind to God and His will. And when it does become stressful and it does become difficult, you're going to be faced with this question. Will He also go away? I would submit to you tonight that God is, is looking for people of commitment. People of, commit, of, of complete single-mindedness. God is looking for His people to remove any plan B's that they might have in place that says, hey, whenever the going gets tough, I can always have a fallback plan. Hey, hey, if this doesn't work out, if this God thing doesn't work out, then I can always fall back on this other thing. When I worked in the restaurant business, I had a manager that came up to me one time and said, hey, if this, re if this God thing doesn't work out, then you should look into going into management. I said, hey, I appreciate it. I'm pretty sure this God thing is going to work out just fine. We don't need a backup. God is looking for all-in Christians who don't have a backup plan or looking for, for something else to go back to, to whenever, they, whenever they, uh, the going gets tough or whenever things get stressful or something comes into our life that, that, that seems overwhelming. God's looking for people that are going to continue on, that are going to stay in it. They're going to be all-in for Him. The total commitment, being all in, hinges on removing all other options that would lead you to walk away from God. The story is told that when Hernan Cortez landed on the coast of Mexico with a force of 700 men, he knew that this could be the most dangerous mission they had ever undertaken. You see, he had already conquered Cuba but now he was on a conquest to conquer Mexico. Cortez knew that once he set off to conquer this new land, there would be many obstacles to overcome, but that the reward would be very great. He knew that there would be many opportunities to turn around and go back to the safe land that they had already conquered, a comfort zone in Cuba. So after each of his 700 warriors disembarked, from their ships and made it onto the shore. The uh, story is told that Cortez burned his ships in the harbor. 
thereby committing his entire force to survival through conquest. Hernan Cortez secured his place in history as, as, the, men who con- as the man who conquered Mexico, due in large part because he removed all opportunity to turn back. He looked at his men and said, hey, there's no else for you to go. We're only moving forward. And God is looking for his people to say, hey, there's nowhere else to go. Leaving everything behind that you've left behind and moving forward, going all in for him. In our Christian life, we're going to face times like these followers of Christ did in the book of John. When we're faced with the choice to turn back or to go all in for him. And to ensure that you move forward, I encourage you tonight, eliminate that plan B. Whatever that plan B might be, whatever, whoever that person might be, whatever that, that might be that, that, um, that you have over here on the side, that whenever, that whenever it gets tough, eliminate that from your life, uh, just as the 12 did. He said, hey, there isn't anywhere else to go. There were no other options. The time will come into your life, Christian, that things don't seem to make sense to you. Nobody can make sense of it. You go to the Word of God, and, 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 and it just doesn't, whatever, whatever it is that came into your life, it just doesn't make any sense. You can go to pastor, and he can't help you make sense of it. Your friends and your family will try to talk to you. And, and this trial, this circumstance has come up in your life, just doesn't make sense. And, and, and you might be thinking, why would, it, why would a loving God allow me to go through something like this? And when that happens... You're going to be tempted to walk away from God. You're going to be tempted to, to walk away from what you've known as truth. You're going to say, this circumstance is tough to accept. This is too hard to take. And you're going to be tempted to turn your back on that and to follow after something else that might bring you happiness. If you're giving of your tithes and offerings, there might come a time when finances get tough or you're not able to do something that you wanted to do, or buy something that you wanted to buy, or go somewhere that you wanted to go, and in that tough time, then you're going to be tempted to give up on your giving, and you're going to say, I'm just going to spend my money my way, and that's going to bring me the happiness that I'm looking for. Married couples, some of you made some decisions, some commitments to God and to each other this past weekend at at the couples retreat, or, or at another time, and and, uh, and you're going to be tempted to walk away from those commitments. You're going to be tempted to walk away from those decisions um, whenever tough times come in your marriage, and you're going to be looking to throw in the towel and, and seeking after some other avenue. And God's going to be there. Are you going to walk away, or are you going to continue on the way that I have called you to? Parents, you're trying to raise godly kids. You're trying to be a godly parent. But let's face it, it's hard. It's tough. It's hard when your kids are upset with you. It's hard when they're rebelling against you. It's hard when they're in disobedience. And it's tough just to keep on going the way that that you feel that God has called you to parent whenever whenever culture is telling you to parent a different way and and when it just doesn't seem to be working working out and you're going to... Be ready to give up and say, I'm done fighting. I'm done trying. I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to let 
let you do your own thing. I'm, I'm just going to quit fighting. I'm going to give in. Because it just doesn't seem to be working right now. You're going to be faced with that question, are you going to turn away as well? Please understand tonight, Christian, that it, it is hard at times for some of you, and it will get harder. But where else can you go? Where can we go but to the Lord? Oh, I, want, I know the battle is raging. The temptation is to pull back. And I know the problems are mounting and the temptations are getting stronger. And, and, and the temptation is there to seek peace somewhere else. And the cross is heavy. And it seems like something else, anything else, would be easier than going through this trial, than, going, than, than, than struggling down this road. But let me encourage you, the alternative isn't worth it. Proverbs 13, verse 15 says, The way of transgressors is hard. Try not to focus on the present. It's only temporary. Get your eyes on heaven. James tells us in verse, chapter 1, verse 12, Blesses the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Lord, to whom shall we go? When circumstances get tough and with life pushes you to the edge, whom else is there to go to that would be better than Jesus? What other avenues might you have that are as an alternative, a better alternative than Jesus, than being all in with Him? Think about it for a moment this evening. Uh, Jesus is unconditionally loving. We're never going to find anybody that loves us as much as Jesus loves us. Paul, told us, Paul wrote to the Romans, said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Christ loved us so much that he died for us. That can't be said of anybody else in our life. Does anybody love you that much? Christ is all wise. He knows everything. He knows the right choices for you to make. Uh, he's perfect. He's a perfect friend. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I read in Isaiah chapter 49 this morning. It says, the Lord, hath the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. And God answered that in verse number 16 of the chapter. And he said, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of of my hands. He said, I can never forget you. I've graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Every time that, that God, that Christ, looks at his hands, he sees the marks of the crucifixion, and he's reminded of what he has done for us. Christ would never for, for, uh, forget us. He would never forsake the, per, the a child that he gave his life for. There's no one else that you can go to that you could say that of. Christ is faithful. Even when we are not faithful, He's faithful. He's unchanging. He's reliable. He's available. He's dependable. Listen, He's patient. And it says His mercies are new every morning. God, Jesus never gives up on us. Even though we have disobeyed him time after time after time, how many times have we failed him? 
and he continues to be long-suffering. He continues to be forgiving. So let me ask you this. To whom, to whom shall we go? I want you to decide tonight. Where else are you going to go? Don't wait until you're faced with that decision out there. Decide it tonight in here. Who's better? To whom shall you go? There's no greater alternative than Jesus. But let me tell you, the times are going to get tough, and you're going to be tempted to chase some other form of happiness, some other form of joy, some other form of peace, some other form of fulfillment, of satisfaction. There's no greater alternative than Jesus. Peter said it right. Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no greater alternative, even when it gets 